0: everybody what's up everybody welcome back to another episode of the lights out podcast i'm your host josh and normally my producer joel would be joining me in the studio but unfortunately he will not be joining us for today's episode he is actually out sick but luckily he's starting to feel better so he should be back next week but in today's episode we're going to be covering one of the darkest periods of history i would say of the world and that is the Black Death. But we're gonna specifically be focusing on plague doctors and what they were all about. When I first saw a plague doctor, I was kind of blown away by how creepy they were as well as just how cool they were. So that is what we're gonna be covering in today's episode of Lights Out. But before we get into that, I wanna quickly remind everybody that planet sleep is out, it's thriving, and it's helping people fall asleep like never before. So, if you haven't checked out Planet Sleep yet, definitely do highly recommend it. Obviously, it does really work, and I've been really enjoying making these episodes along with Joel. And so far, so good. I've been really pleased with all the feedback we've been getting, and we're super excited about where that show's gonna go. And we're gonna continue to evolve and get better as time goes on. But if you're having trouble falling asleep, or you just need something to help you relax, maybe after a lights out episode, definitely check out Planet Sleep because. I'll bet you $100 that you don't make it 10 minutes into the episode before you start getting sleepy. Also, I wanted to remind you that my CBD brand, Higher Love Wellness, actually slashed prices. We were able to bring some of the packing and shipping process in-house, so I have my own employees doing that now. And so I've been able to save money on that front, and in return, I'm passing those savings on to you. So all of our products are now 10 to 20% off permanently. So if you haven't checked out Higher Love Wellness in a while, definitely pop over there and Maybe your favorite product is now a little bit cheaper and a little bit more affordable, which I think is really cool. And one cool thing that we're doing is for all of our podcast listeners across all of our shows, you can use code homies and get an additional 10% off of your whole order. So that is all happening at higherlovewellness.com. Now that we've got all of that out of the way, let's go ahead and jump into the Black Death and start by just talking about the plague. What is the plague? So the plague is a contagious bacterial disease that's been spreading through human populations for thousands of years, been around a very long time. But left untreated, it has a devastatingly high mortality rate. During the three major historical outbreaks of the plague, the most common transmitter was the tropical rat flea, a parasite that mainly lives on rodents. And once infected, the disease can be transmitted to the next generation of fleas through their eggs. And when the rats died, the fleas looked for new hosts, often spreading the disease to humans. It only took one flea bite to introduce the bacteria, Yersinia pastus, or y pestis, into the body of the human host. The bacteria didn't affect the fleas though, and the rats could live for a surprisingly long time as the concentration of the bacteria built up within their bodies. This allowed the disease to spread across continents, on ships. But there are actually three different types of plague. There's the bubonic plague, the pneumonic plague, and the septicemic plague. The bubonic plague attack the lymphatic system and move through the lymphatic vessels to a lymph node. This lymph node could then swell into a painful inflamed lump around the groin, thigh, armpit, or neck depending on where the bacteria entered the skin, and these lumps are called buboes. Symptoms usually began two to seven days after the initial flea bite. The first sign of the bubonic plague was flu-like symptoms, including a sudden fever with chills, a headache, and weakness. Without treatment, the bacteria could move into the bloodstream, leading to the septicemic plague. In addition to fever, chills, and extreme weakness, There was abdominal pain and shock, possibly followed by bleeding into the skin and organs. The bacteria cut off the blood supply to extremities, including the person's fingers, toes, and nose. The skin and other soft tissues turned black as gangrene set in. I mean, this was really, really nasty if you look at pictures of someone with the plague. Very, very disturbing stuff. I couldn't even imagine how painful it must have been to watch your fingers literally turn black as gangrene took them over. The bacteria could also spread to the lungs, leading to the pneumonic plague. Pneumonia developed quickly, which likely caused respiratory failure. In this stage, the disease was airborne, spreading through respiratory droplets in the air and reaching a new level of contagion. The most severe symptoms of the plague were seizures, continuous vomiting of blood, spleen inflammation, delirium, coma, organ failure, and death. The person could also experience decay and decomposition while they were still alive. This cell death is called necrosis, and it's extremely painful. The disease progressed rapidly, and most people died within 10 days of getting infected. It's believed that without treatment, the chance of dying from the plague was 80% to 95%. This plague earned its infamous nickname, the Black Death, in the 1750s when Swedish and Danish historians were studying the disease. The plague has caused epidemics and pandemics in human populations. An epidemic is an outbreak of a disease within a community. An epidemic becomes a pandemic when outbreaks occur in multiple countries or continents at the same time. The bacteria Y. pestis has been identified in human teeth dating back to the Bronze Age, around 3000 BC, which were discovered in an ancient Swedish tomb. The first recorded pandemic was the Plague of Justinian from 541 to 549 AD. It spread quickly through the Mediterranean basin, Europe, and the Near East by infected rats on grain ships. Reoccurring outbreaks continued for two centuries and may have killed 15 to 50 million people. Some estimate the deaths may have reached 100 million. At its peak, up to 10,000 people died every day, ultimately wiping out about 25 to 60% of the affected populations. In 2013, scientists confirmed that the plague of Justinian was caused by the same bacteria that led to major outbreaks in the 1300s and 1600s. Why pestis? During the Great Famine from 1315 to 1317, approximately 30% to 60% of Europe's population was wiped out. A generation later, millions more would be killed by the plague. It took 200 years to get back to pre-famine numbers. During the 14th century outbreak, the plague killed an estimated 25 to 50 million people, Which included half the remaining population of Europe and led to the mass slaughter of 210 Jewish communities. The first recorded case during this time was in Mongolia in 1346. This was a pneumonic plague, likely transmitted to people by a species of rodent called a tarbagan marmot. This rodent has been a native cuisine in Mongolia for centuries, so it had a lot of contact with people, and the plague was spread by coughing marmots. That year, the Mongolian army attacked the Crimean city of Kaffa, but the siege was delayed by an outbreak of the plague. The Mongolians used the plague to their advantage by launching a form of biological warfare. They catapulted infected corpses over the city's walls, spreading the disease to the people inside who had no way of escaping. By May of 1347, the plague had wiped out most people on both sides of the siege. The survivors in Caffa abandoned the city and escaped on ships. They left behind piles of corpses that lined the city streets and were eaten by wild animals. One ship from Caffa landed in Constantinople, and the resulting outbreak killed 90% of the city's population. A second ship landed in Sicily and quickly killed off half the population there. By the next summer, the plague had spread throughout Italy, eliminating one third Of the country's population, can you imagine that happening today? That'd be absolutely insane. A third, Kaffa's ship spread the disease to France in November 1347. And the following January, a second strain of the plague was introduced in Italy. And this strain quickly spread throughout Europe. According to medical reports from the time, people believed the plague was caused by three things. The heavens, miasmas, and earthquakes. The heavens were represented by a planetary conjunction. A conjunction is when celestial objects come together in the sky, making them appear close together. It's a spectacular sight that people at the time didn't fully understand. At 1 p.m. on March 20th, 1345, the triple planetary conjunction of Saturn, Jupiter, and Mars was last seen in the sky. And the people considered this as an ominous warning. After the conjunction, a prominent philosopher gersonides, predicted, diseases and deaths which will last for a long time. Saturn, Jupiter, and Mars were all associated with humors or vital bodily fluids, blood, yellow bile, black bile, and phlegm. People believed an imbalance in any of the humors, either an excess or deficiency, was a sign of serious illness and could cause specific symptoms and behaviors. Medical knowledge at the time also relied on the theory of miasmas. Doctors believed that miasmas were poisonous gases that corrupted the air. They could come from decomposing bodies, rotting food, mold, feces, or dust particles, and they were identified by their foul stench. If someone smelled the stench of corrupted air, the poison could enter their body and spread disease. The third cause of the plague was believed to be earthquakes. In April of 1348, several earthquakes hit Italy and Germany, which the people considered another warning from God. That same month, the first massacre of a Jewish community occurred in Provence, France, when 40 Jewish people were murdered. People throughout Europe started blaming Jews for the plague outbreaks and massacred entire Jewish communities. By that summer, there were organized groups of 50 to 500 hooded men called flagellants. Or brothers of the cross, and they walked the streets wearing almost nothing, whipping their bare skin until they bled. And this self flagellation was a ritualistic response to things like disease, famine, and war. As they marched through cities, the flagellants also murdered Jewish citizens as well as priests who tried to stop them. The temperatures in the spring and summer of 1348 were well above normal, and people believed the hot weather led to an imbalance in bodily humors causing more disease. By now, people were calling the plague the Great Mortality because of the extremely high death rate. Whenever a new outbreak occurred, people would flee the city or region, spreading the disease even further. Venice was the first city to launch an organized response to the outbreak. All incoming ships were inspected, and if there was any signs of disease, the whole ship was burned. The city shut down taverns, and put restrictions on wine imports. Men riding on gondolas through the canal announced official instructions for disposing of the dead. With these measures in place, Venice still lost about 60% of its population. In October 1348, the plague spread to London. Food supplies in the city ran low and people started fleeing to rural areas. The King of England blamed the disease on London's filthy conditions. The city had no sewage system, so human waste flowed freely through the streets. Human and animal waste mixed with garbage and was sometimes even inches deep. Rumors continued to spread about Jewish people, including that they were purposely causing the plague by poisoning wells. More communities were massacred in Austria, Switzerland, Germany, and France. In response, the king of Poland offered a safe haven for Jews who started migrating there inadvertently bringing the plague with them. The worst massacre took place on Valentine's Day in 1349. Over 2,000 Jewish people were murdered in Strasbourg, and they were all burned alive. A few months later, they organized a defense of about 3,000 Jews, but were once again murdered by angry Christians who blamed them for the plague. The Vikings even were forced to stop all explorations to North America after several outbreaks, and as the plague spread through Sweden, The people became increasingly desperate. The king started fasting every Friday and not wearing shoes on Sundays to appease God, who he was sure was causing the spread of the disease. His efforts failed, though, and two of his own brothers died from the plague. By March of 1350, Scotland had had a single outbreak of the plague and decided this was the best time to invade England, which had been weakened by the disease. But this plan backfired when 5,000 Scottish troops died of the plague, which then spread throughout the country, killing one-third of the entire country's population. Eventually, people learned that quarantining the sick helped reduce the spread, and by 1351, cases started to drop. Outbreaks continued to occur every few decades throughout the world, but none led to another pandemic until the Great Plague of 1665, or the Bubonic Plague. The warning signs for this plague came again from the heavens. In November 1664 and again in March 1665, a comet was seen over the London skies, which the people interpreted as a symbol of the wrath of God and a warning that something terrible was coming for them. The heart of the outbreak took place within the walls of London. The first few cases were recorded in the spring of 1665 in the parish St. Giles in the field, located outside the city's walls. By May of 1665, an estimated 43 people had died from the plague, and by the end of June, that number skyrocketed to 6,137 deaths. The number peaked in August with 31,159 recorded deaths. Over 7,000 people died in just one week. By the time the outbreak was under control, London lost 15% of its population. 68,596 official plague deaths were recorded but researchers believe the actual number is closer to 100,000, or at least 25% of the population. From St. Giles in the field, the disease spread to other parishes surrounding the city walls. The wall had been built by the Romans to protect the city, and there were eight specific entry gates which allowed officials to keep track of who entered or left the city. Once the plague breached the walls, these gates were the downfall of the poor. At the time, London had a huge problem of wealth disparity. Most people were either extremely poor or filthy rich. In the poorest parts of the city, large numbers of people lived in small spaces and slept on dirt floors. Plus, the city had no sewage system, so waste and garbage lined the streets. The architectural design of the buildings didn't allow much sun to get through either, and there was a constant thick smog of polluted air from factories and burning coal. City employees called rakers were hired to clear the filth and debris from the streets, but they mostly focused on rich neighborhoods and ignored the poor ones. The summer heat only made things worse. All this combined to cause an unbearable stench, and the people believed the stench carried the plague through the miasmas. No one left their house without a handkerchief over their face to block out the corrupt air. When that wasn't enough, they held bouquets of posies under their noses. The rich hired the poor to carry them around in sedan chairs to avoid the filth, and along with the horses, carriages and crowds of people, the city streets were often completely gridlocked. With everyone crammed together, the plague continued to spread at a rapid rate. Medical care was provided by doctors and apothecaries, which were like early pharmacies. Even the most well-trained doctors had very little medical knowledge by today's standards, and many of the people claiming to be doctors were really con artists, and there was really no way to tell the difference apothecaries sold home remedies like flowers herbs and spices which were completely ineffective against this contagious disease deaths caused by the plague were recorded each week in the bills of mortality and at first they were tracked by the church but when the churches became overwhelmed the city hired people to inspect corpses and determine if the people had died from the plague these city employees had no medical training and were usually just poor people or widows who needed work they held up white canes to identify themselves as inspectors of the dead and couldn't do much more than look at the bodies to determine the cause of death. People also didn't want it on the record that a family member died from the plague, so many would bribe the inspectors to list another cause of death. All this means is that the records from that time are highly inaccurate. At the end of each week, a town crier would stand in the street and report the number of deaths. By that July, conditions in the city were so bad king charles ii and his court all fled along with the rest of the wealthy citizens leaving just the poor to fend for themselves once the king left the city fell into complete chaos as long as the king was within the city walls people believed they were safe and protected but now that he was gone everyone panicked no one was allowed through the city gates unless they had a certificate of health which had to be written by a doctor and signed by the lord mayor but most of the doctors fled with the rich and these certificates were nearly impossible to get. The Lord Mayor stayed in the city to enforce the orders of the king. These orders usually involved praying, fasting, and confessing sins. All public places were closed down and no large gatherings were allowed, including funerals. But the one exception was attending church. Every citizen was required to go to church at least once a week to pray for God's mercy and forgiveness. The church bells were rung after each recorded death. And soon they were ringing non-stop, driving the people in the city mad. Many lit fires in the streets to purify the air, which only made things worse. When word spread that cats and dogs were carriers of the plague, all of them were caught and killed. The bodies were piled on carts, and the cart drivers were paid two pence for each animal killed. To make more money, the drivers started breaking into homes and literally grabbing people's pets from their arms and killing them. It's estimated that about 200,000 to 400,000 cats and dogs were killed that summer alone. Ironically, the cats and dogs were likely helping to keep the rat population under control, which were the actual main transmitters of the plague. Plus, handling any animal carcasses inflected with the plague would have only spread it more. If someone in the household caught the disease, the family was put under quarantine for 40 days and 40 nights, and no one was allowed in or out, which locked the healthy in with the sick and often resulted in wiping out entire families. The windows were boarded up, and the front door was chained. A red X was painted on the door to signify a plague house, and a watchman was appointed to stand guard. The watchman was supposed to take money from the family to buy them food and supplies, but they often used it to buy liquor instead. As a result, many families died of starvation or dehydration during quarantine. After a while, there were more plague houses than there were watchmen, so no one was in charge of bringing the family food and supplies. And if the parents died first, the children were left alone, locked inside the home until they died too. Once everyone was dead, the bodies were cleared, and the house was left empty for another 20 days. The red X on the floor was replaced with a white X to show the house was being fumigated. People were so desperate to ward off the plague, They would try any remedy offered to them. They held gold coins or snails in their mouths and bought things like rabbit's feet from street peddlers. Many people smoked tobacco constantly to keep the miasma away. It's rumored that no tobacco sellers in London died of the plague. Some believe this is because the tobacco acted as an insect repellent that kept infected fleas away. Dead collectors were hired to remove dead bodies from people's homes. At first, they worked through the night and removed bodies in secret. But as the disease continued to spread, they started working nonstop. They walked through the streets in broad daylight yelling, bring out your dead. The bodies were dragged from the houses and thrown into carts. The graveyards filled up and the bodies were stacked against the city's walls, waiting to be buried. Gravediggers started digging mass graves called plague pits and the bodies were dumped from the carts straight into the pits as the diggers kept working at the other end. Hundreds and thousands of corpses were buried in these pits. And in the future, the city of London was rebuilt on top of the mass graves. But one of the most fascinating things to come from the Black Death was the plague doctors. And before we get into plague doctors, we're gonna take a quick break, hear a word from our sponsors, and we'll be right back. All right, now that that's out of the way, let's dive into the fascinating world of plague doctors. London and other cities contracted plague doctors to track the spread of the disease. The plague doctors negotiated their own contracts, and as demand increased, their fees increased as well. Payment often included living expenses and a generous severance, and fees were usually paid in advance. They existed in some form during the outbreak in the 1300s, but they didn't develop their distinctive protective suits until the 1600s. Most doctors at the time believed in the theory of miasma. So when treating those infected by the disease, plague doctors had to protect themselves from the smells, which resulted in the creation of their elaborate, yet disturbing uniforms. They believed smells could be caught in clothing fibers, so they wore head-to-toe leather outfits, covered in suet, or hard animal fat to repel fluid. Over their regular clothes, they wore a waxed leather, ankle-length coat or robe, claw-like gloves, thick trousers and heavy boots. To prevent smells from getting into their noses and mouths, they developed a tight-fitting mask with a long, bird-like beak. The mask was secured with a hood and leather bands. The beak was about six inches long and was considered the most essential part of the uniform, because it prevented the doctor from inhaling miasmas. The beak was stuffed with perfume, dried flowers, or sweet herbs and spices like mint, cloves, and myrrh. And for extra protection, the herbs were often burned before inserted into the beak, so the doctor could continuously inhale the smoke. The mask had glass openings over the eyes that looked like goggles. They carried long wooden canes to examine patients, remove their clothes, and take their pulse all from a safe distance. The sticks could be used to strike delirious or desperate patients who tried to get too close. God, imagine that, getting, getting beat with a cane by a plague doctor. If that's not scary, I don't know what is. The people believed the plague was a punishment from God, and they actually asked the doctor to whip them with the cane. Plague doctors wore wide-brimmed black top hats to identify them as doctors, but it's hard to imagine the rest of the outfit wouldn't have done the trick. The whole uniform was designed to protect the doctor from the patient and from the miasmas. The fatal flaw was two nostril holes poked in the mask so the doctor could breathe. And these tiny holes were enough to infect many of the plague doctors with the disease the ones who didn't get sick and die had to be constantly quarantined they only saw plague patients so after each visit the plague doctor had to go into immediate quarantine basically they lived a life in isolation plague doctors were usually young physicians with very little experience those with poor reputations self-trained barber surgeons or con artists pretending to be doctors All the first-rate doctors probably weren't willing to go into areas with massive plague outbreaks. Plague doctors weren't hired to cure or even treat the sick. Their main job was to keep track of how many people died from the plague. In some cities, they were asked to perform autopsies to determine the causes of death and study the disease. They also oversaw last rites and the execution of wills, which gave them a tremendous amount of power. And this led to some taking advantage of the patient's finances by forging wills. Because the plague doctors were hired by the cities, they were required to see all patients, regardless of wealth or status. So when they were assigned to a wealthy person, many plague doctors concocted their own treatment methods, which the sick person could get for a fee. They used unconventional treatment methods that are confusing or even horrifying by today's medical standards. A lot of these remedies were focused on the skin. The doctors rubbed onions and herbs into infected areas. Oh, I can't even imagine. And in more extreme cases, they chopped up snakes and pigeons and laid the dead animal parts over the buboes. So literally the pussy blistered looking boils on their skin, they would take dead animal parts and put them on top. Can you imagine? Patients were told to ingest vinegar, crushed mineral, mercury, and arsenic. The cure for a high fever was forcing the person to sit right next to a fire. Holy shit. That would be horrible. You're burning up 105 degrees. You're sitting next to a raging campfire. Couldn't imagine that was good for you. The plague doctor rebalanced humors by putting leeches and frogs on the buboes. They lanced the buboes to drain the pus, thinking this would cure them. But it only spread the disease more and made the person die quicker. It was also excruciatingly painful. They would literally poke your boils or buboes to drain the pus, thinking that this would cure them. But in fact, it only spread the disease more and made that person die quicker. As you can imagine, it was also excruciatingly painful. When they didn't poke the buboes, they covered them in human feces, believing this would prevent the spread of infection. I don't know where their logic is coming from, but it it does not make any sense whatsoever. Bloodletting or draining a patient's blood was another common treatment and was also very painful. But the most painful treatment involved covering the person's skin in mercury, which burns the soft tissues and inflames the lungs. Then that person was literally put inside an oven to burn away the contamination, which this led to serious burns and skin infections. The worst plague doctors took the fees from the cities and the rich patients and left town without doing anything at all. Some were drunk on the job or exaggerated the number of patients they saw to raise the city's fees. Many cities were forced to take many of them to court for basically not performing their duties. And despite these common court cases, plague doctors weren't outlawed until the late 18th century. But not all of them were inexperienced, greedy, or corrupt. There were some plague doctors whose only concern was helping people. Good doctors were so valuable during this time that a kidnapped physician could be held for ridiculously high ransom which the city usually paid but some of these honest plague doctors were easy scapegoats for desperate citizens to blame for the outbreak over time the pointed beak and round goggles became a visual representation of all the horrors brought on by the plague objectively the uniform looks comical or silly but the image of a plague doctor is much more likely to cause mysterious feelings of fear and dread By the end of September 1665, the number of plague deaths was finally starting to decline. That year was a bitterly cold winter which helped slow the spread of the disease. By February 1666, the king and his court returned to London along with the wealthy citizens. People continued to die of the plague throughout the spring and summer, and for the next several years, but at much slower rates. Before the outbreak, the population of England was about 5.25 million. By 1680, it was down to 4.9 million. Historians believe this plague outbreak may have been eliminated by the Great Fire of London in 1666, which destroyed much of the city within the walls, including most of the remaining rat population. The city was rebuilt with a functional sewage system, wider streets, open architecture, and better housing. The fire also destroyed many of the records kept during the plague, which has made it harder for historians to accurately track the outbreak because there is no surviving record of how many people may have contracted the plague, but survived. This is absolutely insane, but the definitive cause of the plague wasn't confirmed until 2016, when archeologists excavated a plague pit in London and identified the DNA of Yersinia pestis bacteria on the skeletons. The bacteria that cause a black death is still around, but cases are extremely rare in the Western world. They mostly occur in rural areas of developing countries. Today, the plague is treated with antibiotics and vaccines and affects less than 5,000 people worldwide each year. We're left mostly with historical documents haunting images of plague doctors and lingering cultural references, like the lyrics to Ring Around the Rosie. Ring Around the Rosie, referencing a skin rash. A pocket full of posies, to block the stench of corrupted air. ashes. Ashes, we all fall down, meaning we all die. Had no idea about that when I was a kid. Different versions of this nursery rhyme all lead back to symbols of the plague. There are many parallels between how London handled the Black Death in 1665 and how the COVID pandemic has been handled in modern times. Potentially sick and healthy family members are quarantined together, businesses were closed, and mass gatherings banned. Funerals were not allowed, but people still gathered for regular church services. Our modern version of PPE, or personal protective equipment, isn't that different from the plague doctor's uniform. As desperate Londoners tried any possible remedy to ward off the plague, walking past piles of dead bodies with posies in their face and coins in their mouth, it's hard to imagine they would have turned down a vaccine or refused to wear a paper mask. Most people probably would have happily dressed like plague doctors, beak and all if they thought it could save them from the Black Death. It's absolutely crazy to think that the plague or the Black Death is still around today. In fact, right here in my home state of Colorado, three weeks ago, a child died of the plague. Because apparently, prairie dogs carry it. Two weeks ago, in the Lake Tahoe area, the bubonic plague was found in chipmunks, which forced closure of top Lake Tahoe sites. So it continues to pop up over and over again. And it seems unlikely that we'll ever completely eradicate this horrible, horrible disease. But with that being said, that is where I'm gonna wrap up today's episode. I'm very thankful that the Black Death is not going around right now. But if anything, this should be a lesson to anyone out there that we should absolutely take pandemic seriously. It is real and They are deadly. So please listen to what the experts are saying, medical professionals that know what they're talking about, because this isn't a joke. Millions and millions of people are dying in pandemics throughout all of history. So I like to think that we are more evolved, smarter than the people back in the 13 and 1600s. But sadly, doesn't seem to be the case all the time. But hopefully you found this episode of Lights Out Podcast as interesting as I did. If you did, I'd appreciate it if you subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts YouTube. Give us a thumbs up. Leave us a comment. Rating review. Let us know what you love about the show. Check out Love Wellness. Again, use code HOMIES for 10% off. But that is it for me today. I will see you guys next week with another episode. But until then, Lights Out everybody.